today for tons of reasons, one of which is because we are coming out of the election season and pleasantly surprised with a lot of these results. But I'm also really happy because I get to invite just another great guest onto the revival today who is a longtime friend of mine, um, went to college together, uh, but she has surpassed all of my expectations. She is just so um just prolific in all of her work everything that she does she's community organizer she has ran for office before and she's younger than me so that tells you a lot about her leadership um she is leading as well as one of the state officers of the minnesota democratic farmer and labor party she's also the co-founder of in sisterhood we brunch which brings together hundreds of women of color um, and uh, gender binary folks for quarterly brunches. She is doing so much. She is um, a philanthropic uh, program officer as well. So she's moving that money to the community. Uh, she is just a rock star. So I'm super excited to have Shaniqua Johnson here on the podcast. Say hello to the people. <laughs> hey, hey y'all. It's good to see you, good to see you. Awesome. Well, you can't see nobody because it's a podcast. Amber, I'm looking right at you. No. <laughs> Get to hear me, you know. I can't see it. Sorry, I just wanted to clown. <laughs> so um, before we get started in our conversation, so we are wrapping up the Re Revive the Vote election series. This is our post-election wrap. So we have a lot of results to unpack today. Um, but before we get into that, I just wanted to open up some space to... Uh, have people learn more about you. You are a woman of faith, um, a black woman, a woman from a rural background here in Minnesota. There's just so many different elements to um, who you are and what makes you you. And so uh, let's just open up some space to just hear your story, um, how your faith compels you to pursue a just and free world. Um, yeah, and the things that are inspiring you today. Well, you know, thank you so much for just allowing me a chance to talk with you and to share my story and my perspective. Growing up in Worthington, Minnesota, was born and raised there, a small town of about 13,000 people in southwestern Minnesota, 45 minutes from Iowa and South Dakota. Um, I always like use it as a metric. If people know where Mankato is, they basically could keep going straight down for another like hour and a half and you'd run right dead into this place called Worthington. Um, and growing up uh, as a black woman as well as a black you know students my father and mother both lived in Worthington for a very long time uh, before we came along and so being raised there I was you know oh that's Willie's daughter oh that's you know um, Aditi's daughter and people kind of knew my family because everybody knew everybody um, and that was really a lot of my experience a lot of times I get you know questions around Oh, what was it like growing up black in Worthington? And it was just so interesting because I think I started to learn a lot more about my black identity in college and where a lot of my space and just growing up, I never really thought about it as like, oh, we are the only black family on the block or, oh, why can't my hair do the thing like do that, do that style? Um, I had 
my hair relaxed growing up and like now I'm natural and I've been natural for years but all of that kind of started too uh both at the University of Minnesota and just like being able to have friends that looked like me that understood my culture um and so you kind of is one of those things where you're like you don't know what you didn't have until you go somewhere else and realize how much you have to learn and experience and so went to the University of Minnesota right out of high school and when it came to picking a school, I really was interested in getting about as far away as I could from Worthington just to try something else. I didn't want to be like where all the kids were going. Um, if I went on a school visit and they were like, you won't be just a number. Um, I was like, well, I'm not coming here because <laughs> I want to be just a number. I want to be a fly on the wall. I don't want anyone to know me. Um, to now, you know, fast forwarding through like my you know, getting my degree in family social science from the University of Minnesota to now like taking a dive into politics. I really felt like, you know, with the University of Minnesota, so much of my movements lately, when I sat back and reflected on them as like a adult were like, oh, I had a lot of opportunities that I felt like God has continued to place in my life. And so like, when it came to basically just like motivating me to have a just and free, like world space they have to believe that that's possible and I just have had you know just a lot of experiences where I've sat back and been like wow God made that happen for me and like alleviated multiple barriers that could have been should have been like might have been because I was black because I was young because I you know didn't have a family member who had been to college before because nobody in my family owned a home because all of these things that you were told constantly by society are like would mean that a Shaniqua could not have <laughs> and could not do. Um, and so just in that way, it's just continued to be like, okay, God, what you gonna do next? Come on, show off on me a little bit. Uh, and in many ways, you know, graduating from college, working for Keith Ellison in Congress was my first job, you know, out of, I literally didn't know where I was going. I had my final, you know, finals coming up. I was prepping for them and Keith called me uh, and literally was like, how, you know, you getting ready to leave school and finishing up. And I was like, yeah, and I'm going to be graduating. He was like, how do you feel about working for me? And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> um, what do you mean? No, but it's just those things, those opportunities that come up where since then that's continued to be like a common thread, like the cause that I didn't think were going to come that came the moments of trying to decide whether to run for office and having people uni unanimously in my hometown endorse me for a party um, race that I didn't think I was gonna run. I graduated and literally walked across the stage and four days later filed for office. And so like those things that don't make sense, uh, I've enjoyed doing them because like, I felt like they make sense to me because I genuinely don't think all the time that God makes sense and his plans don't make what we think you know, his timing is not on anybody else's timing. Um, and it's just continued to be that way. And so like, that's a little bit about me, definitely a little bit about how faith continues to guide me. Cause I really just feel like God uses me in ways that I didn't imagine possible. Um, when I was in eighth grade, I wanted to be a mail, like a post office, like a mail carrier person, because <laughs> I wanted to learn how to drive on the other side of the vehicle. Like I did not know what my expectations of like myself were um I didn't write about like being senator or being you know like president of the United States like a lot of kids I was like I'll be a mail carrier I'm gonna have a dog uh, I'm gonna do x y and z like I didn't have the same expectations for myself that God saw for me and I'm thankful about that
don't make me cry g because i was just I'm like oh lord the spirit is moving <laughs> but i just um thank you for sharing so much about your journey and it has been so amazing to see the ways in which god is moving you in all of these places and spaces um and i i have spoken to some friends of mine in the past and to others and have been able to recognize like exactly what you said that you know based on the statistics of what this world says that we should be in, in a in a particular place and space in our lives being the eyes at every single point like you know that is an act of god like because the stakes are literally stacked against us um in a lot of ways especially just knowing that you know you said that you're you're a first generation college student your parents didn't own a home and, and all the things and you've been able to accomplish those things before being 30 years old running for office all the things so i just i'm like whew, feeling that just feeling that in the atmosphere and i also loved um how you lifted up the fact that uh there are moments in your life where you are called to do things um, that you're called to step into new positions that you're called to um, elevating your leadership in different ways and what has been the result of those things not just in the work that you've done but the way that you have been transformed i think that's the biggest thing that sometimes we lose track of is um that god may not be calling us just to step into a new position or a, a new season um, he's also calling us to to change in the midst of that in ways that we don't even fully comprehend and um yeah like when you have experienced a season like that you can you know what that means but i think on the front end you don't even understand what's about to happen <laughs> you know so just wanted to lift some things up there that i kind of heard as you were speaking if you want to respond to any of those um as well we can give you the room <laughs> yeah i mean i think you just really you know touched on that moment where it's so important even in politics too to understand that like god has a place there and i think sometimes like you have to kind of see that he moves in this world and the space in multiple places to understand that like you right God can move in any move any room and government politics elections there are no there's no difference like I know some people will look at the election cycle this year and think about all the work that goes into it um that will obviously right like organizing and votes and communities coming out and gathering together is definitely what turned um some of these elections what flipped the senate to a democratic space but also none of that would be possible without God. Cause I really just feel like there was some miracles in that. I think it's a very rare occasion. I wasn't sitting up here being like, that's going to be the results for tomorrow. Um, you know, and I think that that's really important to really give credit to where it's due. And when you can remove the, he said, the, she said, and alt ultimately they give the accreditation to where it's due. Like in understanding that like, some elections, I feel like God has his hand in in multiple ways. And in our spaces where I feel um, when it comes to running for office too, like it was not for me. It wasn't for, you know, just to put your name on something. Uh, I watched firsthand how God really 
flipped the room for me um, in ways that from the initial recruitment conversations to even talk about running for office to like going home and wanting to play small, right? Like wanting to be like, no, they just recruited me on a fluke. They talked to me. This doesn't need to happen. Nobody's going to vote for me. I'm a black woman in Southwest Minnesota. I'm 22 years old. Um, they're not going to take me seriously. Just the things that in your head that can come up where it's intimidating. Like it's not easy to run for office or to be a public in a public figure space because there's a lot of responsibilities with that. Um, and then to watch him, you know, things that I, we raised $35,000 in five months. People mm -hmm. who I had never met before sending uh, literally envelope letters and checks that mm. some people would have to, you know, do these calls for. We never stressed about fundraising. We never stressed about like mm. doing anything other than the good work we were there to do and like turning out the vote and talking to people. And I was like multiple times, just like this, this doesn't make sense, God, you know, <laughs> how is this, how is this black 22, 23 year old running in Southwest Minnesota, you know, running with 40 people on our team helping door knock in Sanborn, Minnesota. Um, how is this like explained and just really explained. being affirmed in this way of being like, because this is where I'm supposed to be right now. This mm -hmm. is what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, and just to continue having that mindset of like, I do think I occupy spaces where I am sent. I feel like uh, my life will be fulfilled in missions and missionary type of work as well as being, you know, a child of God in, in government and politics. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and sometimes we move differently when faith mm -hmm. is at the center of what you're doing. It's mm -hmm. not about that person. It ends up being less about the politics and the partisanship and way more about what they're talking through, especially in my faith spectrum. And so sometimes when I'm like, if the spirit ain't right, I don't care if you're Democratic or Republican, we just won't work together. Mm -hmm. um, but if it's a space of working and, you know, moving people forward, if I still think there's a space to seek God first before any political decisions, yeah. um, before running for office. And in many ways I'm doing that, you know, like, it's like, that's been my journey. Before mm -hmm. I take a job, I'm working with an elected official. I pray about it. I ask if I'm supposed to do that. Mm -hmm. um, not even if they're amazing. I've worked for some amazing people. And when they're not, pray about it too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Oh, so good, Shaniqua. And just hearing you say that, like, God was calling me to no longer play small. Like, and just how, you know, we've been in even our own personal conversations offline, just as two, you know, young Black women trying to live our lives even outside of work. And just, you know, I have seen the ways in which it's very clear that that lesson about no longer playing small has really permeated how you show up in the world um, and just who you are. And um, that's so incredibly powerful. Like when you come across people who believe, especially in our community, right? Especially as women, like that you are no longer called to play small, just that just unlocks so much possibility that unlocks so much potential about what it what can be done like not just in your own life but in the communities in which you occupy so that's just that's just major right it's just major and it's also good to continue to think about all the ways that yes the, the lord is 
leading us in these spaces um, to stand in the gap, to be vessels. Um, and I would much rather, you know, I had this experience when I was working in the governor's office and I realized I'm like, I would much rather be in this room knowing that God can enter this room through me, right? Even when I feel ill-equipped and I don't have all of the policy knowledge and all the things, I would much rather feel like God can enter this room through me than me not being present. Yeah. And I was like a moment. I was like, oh, this really ain't about me, right? <laughs> so, so yeah, so yeah. But um, I don't want to uh, belabor the points much longer, but um, I think it will, I think it just warrants to say that, you know, God's just doing amazing things through your life and even so many others in our generation. Um, and we're seeing even in this election season, how um, so much of, of the power is being shifted through um, a younger electorate and also the leaders that are coming out of that who are also putting themselves on the ballot. Um, so obviously we just, uh, well, we're kind of still in the midst of the, the election season because we're still trying to figure out the balance of Congress right now. Um, but for the bulk of the 22 election season, it has come to an end and we know what most of the results are, um, including and I mean, Ron called it like when you were saying, like, you know, sometimes you got to trust God with some of these things. And I remember in our episode with Ron Harris, I came into that episode having like no real confidence right? <laughs> in what was to come. And he was like, no, I'm optimistic. We can do this, this, that, and the third. And he was right. Ron, you were right. I'm saying that on the record. Um, <laughs> Yes, but um, right. <laughs> this has been historic midterm election season. Typically in midterm elections, the uh, party in which the um, the presidential office is occupied does not fare well in a, an election season. And, and with that, that's Joe Biden and the Democrats. Um, and there was a predicted red wave um, that they were going to sweep the House, that they were going to have 60 seat majority, 24, 60 seat majority. And take back the Senate. And um, there also wasn't a lot of confidence in uh, taking the Senate back here at the state level. Um, and then also there was not a lot of confidence in, in the polling around even our attorney general's race. But in the end, all of the statewide offices, the Democratic incumbents maintained their seats. Um, the House in the state of Minnesota maintained its majority. And the Democrats took the Senate for the first time now, know how long, um, and that has provided the Democratic Party with an historic trifecta, which offers many opportunities that we can talk about. Um, and also on the local level, the Hempe County attorneys race, for example, uh, a huge win um, in Mary Moriarty's race, um, who ran as a progressive democratically endorsed in what was called the most important, basically prosecutorial race in the country, because this is the county in which George Floyd was murdered. And so there was a lot on the line this election season um, and the takeaways have been surprising and historic. Um, can you just share more? You were obviously on the ground being part of the state party leadership. So you've been all across the state, mobilizing voters, supporting candidates, 
Um, so you have seen a lot and you've heard a lot and um, the pulse, <laughs> like you've had your pulse on this election season. So as you're processing the results, where are some of the things that come to mind as far as how we got here today? I think that the biggest thing, you know, that people should really hone in on is that when we vote, right, we win. And I really know that there's like every election people come through and they're door knocking and they talk about, you know, this is the election. This is the time they give this feel about how urgent and how needed and vital it is um, that folks vote. And what I always tell people is like local races, state Senate, state house, um, the governorship, the several state elected, uh, statewide elected official local offices can come down to one vote, right? And throughout the Twin Cities, we've seen a lot of fierce leaders um, really run a robust campaign. And all of that mattered into keeping the governor, the AG, uh, attorney general, the state auditor, lieutenant governor in their seats, right? We had Senate District 65 with Samakab Hussein and uh, Maria Issa uh, Perez, Perez Hedges. And we had um, a robust campaign in both of those spaces, major organizing within the Latino community with Movimento Caucus, which is the DFL Latino Caucus that traveled throughout the state of Minnesota to meet with voters, to talk with voters. We saw like, you know, historic numbers with Hmong voter turnout, uh, both on the east side here uh, in Ward 7, where I'm at now, and District 6, uh, in a county commissioner race, but also throughout the state, as we've had a large amount of Black votes as well, um, with African-American voters, as well so as Black, you know, um, state representatives, state Senate candidates that had never been in that space before, right? So like, Claire Verbetten being elected to the Minnesota State Senate, Zainab Muhammad in the State Senate, along with Erin McQuaid, three Black women, um, two of which are openly LGBTQ identifying as well, so as Zainab being 25 years old. Um, but that is the state, right? When we look at the demographics of who lives here and who is represented here, I think for the first time in a long time, we had to have a conversation around not only who represents us, but what languages we were speaking. And both in the literal sense, like obviously English, Spanish, Hmong, but in the other side of it, that the if you notice the message that people were getting, the information that voters were getting, the ads that were even being brought up, both good and bad, were different this time. And a lot of the spaces and strategies for outreach um, and inclusion in those elections changed from being just like, let's go there, let's throw out this one space for the vote, and more around a lot of our people starting to look different. A lot of the elected officials and candidates that were running, talking with voters, being engaged with voters, having teams of grassroots organizers, apartment doors actually being knocked this time, uh, in a way that, if you ask me, in some spaces, like District 6, where I ran, was it where I, sorry, not ran, but where I live, is like, there was a 200 person vote, um, right? The mayor of Brooklyn Park now, Hollis Winston, lost his last election by two votes. <laughs> so you're in this space of now running again 
And now he's he's going to be the first black mayor of Brooklyn Park. Like that is what this takes. Mariardi running a fierce campaign for Hennepin County attorney, right? When's the last time someone's been really excited to vote for these positions like Hennepin County attorney? But the magnitude of what our what Hennepin County has been through in the last four years is important and you need folks that are going to represent those values. And so I just feel like there was just a lot of energy this midterm and the time where we needed to have a trifecta. And if you ask me, needed this win so people can really start to find some of the issues that they care about on, on the docket for next year. Like that's my biggest, you know, thing. It was like, you would hear folks talk about not necessarily getting a door knocked, not necessarily feeling like their votes mattered, not necessarily feeling like, um, their issues were being talked about at the state level. And I'm optimistic now that a lot of those conversations are going to happen. And so I hope that that kind of translates further from the energy that we saw and people turning out to vote and knowing that they can uh, do so, right? Because we're in a state that has a lot of really progressive moves towards who can and can't vote, how to access it day of. Um, but there was still a lot of voter education. But the doors, we we're talking thousands of doors throughout, you know, hundreds of thousands of doors throughout the state in a space where people were genuinely out talking. We saw some of the most highest amount of fundraising dollars come through this, both like the Democratic Party as a state, but also the House and Senate caucus. So people were giving their dollars, right, of maxing it with their votes. So people were donating even $5, right, 10, 15, 20 a lot of small dollar donations too that went into campaigns because people realized that it takes money to run these races. And so people were really just kind of holding on in a lot of ways um, across the state, whether they were from rural or like the suburban areas or right here in Minneapolis, St. Paul, like they were genuinely like turning out, making the time, um, taking the time off work to vote <laughs> and getting out even at like 7.58 right like just making sure that they could do this one thing um and come out for this vote so there's a lot at stake right now a lot of people are looking and they're like okay it's now you know the time to do some of the work that you guys were door knocking my house and talking about doing yes yes thank you for that and um just sidebar like i was just so incredibly impressed by the work of the movie and uh movimiento uh caucus and i'm just like that needs to be a blueprint for how um latino uh voters are engaged across this country um obviously that's not necessarily a key focus of this podcast but i just think that you know what we're seeing in the latino community we're seeing a real we've seen it for a while that that particular community is very heterogeneous in the way that it engages its electorate and seeing you know what happens in Minnesota in contrast to what has happened in like Florida, right? Like, so I just saw seeing that program turn out and seeing how um, leaders, uh, organizers, and candidates really, um, really got on the ground to engage their community. It was just so masterful. So just want to give it their flowers here. Um, and you talked a lot about like uh, issues and uh, wanting to see these issues show up in the work um, as candidates who have been elected go into their offices and do the work. So what were some of the top issues that were really motivating voters to uh, get to the polls? Um, I know that, you know, after the Dobbs decision came down, um, that became a huge talking point, but there also been key issues 
that have been rivaling or maybe even exceeding that as well. So just really getting a good sense of like, what were people really caring about? Um, what were the things that really um, turned the tide and, and brought people out to the polls? Yeah, you know, I will say that, yes, right, though, I would say the most common two common issues that I heard a lot about were women's rights and um, public safety, you know, and people really talking through, I think one of the misconceptions is that you can be both Christian and a child of God as well as pro-choice. And I feel like in a lot of ways, I think that the faith-based conversation around women's rights um, is really important. And I hope that people continue to have that and really lean into that because I come from a area where we are, like the Southwestern part of the state is a very pro-life leaning um, space. And so even in conversations you have, like, what is at the premise of both of them? If you ask me is both like the, the, parents and uh, the people who are directly impacted as well so as the quality of life that the child can have and sometimes not even either one of those things but it's like, un like unforeseen circumstances that truly lead an individual to need or need access to care in a way that they may not have anticipated and so like we're in a state where we're kind of in an island of its own. Um, Minnesota is surrounded by states who have made that the decision of how they're going to address women's rights and women's health care, women's access to, um, you know, birth control, abortion, women, like basically just any resources in general. Uh, and people are seeing that. And that has become a very hot topic. And I think lately, you know, people used to be able to talk a lot about federal government because there was a lot of decisions being made at the federal level. The state now has a lot more power based off of that Supreme Court decision. And so when we're looking at the decisions, I think that we'll be continuing to have ongoing conversations about how to protect and continue to have um, that access given and afforded to women who are going to come from other states as well, who are going to come throughout the metro uh, and in general, not just for, right, like not just for abortion, <laughs> but to make sure that our communities have, you know, a way to adequately address the fact that Black women are dying at high rates in Minnesota, that Black women are having complications with their pregnancies at a higher rate than their white counterparts in Minnesota. And so like, how do we start to address that if we can't prioritize women's rights if we can't prioritize women's health? And so I'm pretty optimistic there. And the other piece about it is like public safety, gun violence, <laughs> and, you know, just really leaning into what it means to actually start to address things like, you know, gun reform. What is it like to actually start to address um, legalizing cannabis? <laughs> Um, and spaces where people can have a lot of views, but the problem is the conversations weren't happening. And so like, you can have whatever side of the fence you are, but I want to hear it at the Senate level. I want to hear it at the House level. And I want to see those bills on the floor to talk about it. I think that that's like the thing that's just like, these are major issues that everybody's talking about. Do we want to legalize marijuana or do we not want to legalize marijuana? Do we want to have, you know, women's rights access to abortion or to other spaces or do we not want to do that? Do we want to have gun control or, do, or gun reform or any sort of major emphasis on our criminal justice system or do we not want to do that? And the issues there was that the conversation wasn't being had on the floor. And so people were talking about it at the dinner tables, talking about it at your schools, talking about it at home, talking about it to their significant others, but then we weren't having the conversation on the house floor. And so I'm just like, that's what you, you know, we were hearing at the doors it was like people 
were caring about these issues. They did care about um, criminal justice reform because people saw what happened, you know, in the Twin Cities and in all across the state because it happens everywhere. <laughs> and but it does, you know, it has caught a lot of people's attention too. And people were voting with those things in mind. Um, so yeah. Yeah, I um, I definitely agree that there were many times where these very important conversations were just completely avoided or stopped or blocked in different chambers um, from the public safety side. I, I mean, we would have robust conversations in one chamber. And then when it came time for those bills to make it to the other chamber, they wouldn't even be heard. And that is that's a power differential. It's it's not because of the the uh, merit of the issue. It's about who wants to hear these things and and engage in these conversations. And so yes, I'm definitely looking forward to that. I also agree that is definitely time to have a very comprehensive conversation about reproductive health care. Like very. It's in, in a very, when I say robust, educational, really being able to break down all of the facets of what that means. Because when we hear reproductive health care, we hear abortion and contraception only. Um, but reproduction, it deals with everything dealing with the reproduction of human beings and how that's impacting our communities. And also really being able to navigate um, how your faith interacts with a, a broader community of, of a diverse set of human beings and how we um, faithfully engage in our actual citizenry, um, thinking about all those things in mind and what's at stake and what is happening in our political culture as a, as a, a result of that. So I'm definitely looking forward to seeing how that conversation unfolds. And um, yeah, and, and there have been others who have lifted up, you know, taking care of the whole child. Like if you're going to be pro-life, take care of the whole child from womb to tomb, um, which is, you know, as it relates to black women in particular, that is very much disproportionately not seeing the impacts of that um, perspective show up in our public discourse. And so I'm, I'm very much looking forward to how we can continue to push those conversations and really confront the elephants in the room and being able to really sit with a with an open heart to really understanding how we work through these things. Um, so yeah, sorry, I was gonna keep going. I don't know what's <laughs> yeah, no, I mean that. Like literally, I just I feel like there's just this chance to start because there's the option and like pro choice, pro life decision, right? And there's the aftermath, mm -hmm. and there's the space to talk through like what is postpartum. How does that translate still when we need to have more paid family medical leave? Mm -hmm. um, what does it look like when we are, you know, still having a space to talk about a lot of things, polycystic ovarian syndrome and things that people don't mm -hmm. really even know about that disproportionately impact black women and brown women throughout the state of Minnesota, which continues to be a growing population here. There's spaces for young women to experience a lot of different complications with their, their bodies and their health and their space. And so like, if I'm gonna, it doesn't always have to be political, but like the space of education, so important. The accesses to resources, so important. The difference between, um, you know, the types of, like, if 
I'm still, it's still true to where your zip code will determine the type of healthcare that you can receive. How do we actually start to pin away from that? Because it shouldn't be the case. Whether I'm in Worthington, I, you know, like where my mom and my brother are currently, the nearest place for my brother to get dental care is a 50, 50 mile drive, right? Um, and so, because that's what accepts his insurance. So we very much still have like a comprehensive health issue here in the state of Minnesota and where people are able to afford um, all the way down to their insurance and what it covers and doesn't cover um, is important. Housing is important. Mm -hmm. These issues that continue to be, you know, that maybe make people feel like it's different, right? Like it's not. It's not that, that's actually not that much different depending on where you're going. We knocked multiple cities, multiple counties, multiple um, townships across the state. And you heard a lot of the same thing. Uh, housing. I want to be able to feel safe in my home. I, you know, people aren't talking to each other anymore about health. My waiting list to get, you know, my surgery is very long. I don't necessarily know where, um, my next meal is going to come from, uh, but I will come and vote. And so those conversations where like people have a huge disparity, like economic disparity here, who has access to different resources, whether it's like Republican or Democratic or rural or suburban, or I'm in Worthington having a conversation or on the east side having the conversation, there were a lot of similarities for sure. Mm, thank you for that. That's that is a really good replay. Um, and it excites me about what is to come, right? So as we are looking into a new year, um, into a new session, into um, just new opportunities that are breaking open after the shift of power, um, what are your expectations? Like, what do you expect for us to be able to um, pursue and accomplish in a new session and how should people engage in that work? Yeah, and I think that that's just, you know, I do expect to hear some of these issues that have been avoided being heard on the on the House and Senate floor this time as well. So as, you know, seeing some major movements towards actually having a conversation around restoring the vote. I do think we will see a conversation around um, and possibly even some votes around legalizing cannabis uh, because there are a lot of members who ran on that. Like a lot of folks that were elected to the Senate and the House both ran on the platform to protecting women's rights and a woman's, a woman's right to choose. Uh, they ran on being able to uh, you know, make massive movements towards healthcare and what that looks like to be affordable throughout the state of Minnesota. Uh, they talked about housing as their platform and making sure that we were actually starting to tackle uh, unsheltered uh, populations here in Minnesota. And it's getting cold, like right now, <laughs> people are on the streets right now. They're, you know, it's literally, we know we're in Minnesota next month, two months from now, uh, it will be negative, it'll be below zero. And so like how we address some of these issues now are going to directly impact people tomorrow and today. And so I think you will start to see that. I'm also really hopeful and uh, optimistic that also the voters, especially for those that are like new time voters or returning voters who voted in this election, but maybe hadn't voted uh, in the past election for whatever reason, um, really start to exercise their right to visit the Capitol or to have a conversation or to be involved and like the policy conversations, especially the languages that people are gonna be using in the in the law and like just the way that bills are written, I wanna see a lot more community engagement. So I think you'll also see some communications or some 
intentional investment from the Senate caucus and the House caucus and community outreach here in the state um, from a like, you know, just a good practice, non-voter uh, uh, step base, but more on trying to continue to can to maintain that pulse throughout the state of Minnesota. And it started a little bit during, you know, the previous years with having some of our House caucus and leaders and Senate caucus leaders have those conversations. But now we're in a situation where we have new majority leaders who can dictate where the budget is spent at the state level. And what uh, projects that were wrapped up in bonding last year and what they're going to do with the surplus of money that they now have received, you're probably going to see some movement in that this time. You probably won't see members leave the floor before those decisions are made. And so I think that's what I'm expecting and really hopeful for, because when I think about what they're being sent there to do, I think that that's not just for them, but that's for us and that's for our community. And like, I really, I hope that they are accountable to that. Absolutely. And when it comes to leaders from our own community, um, how, how are we seeing leadership um, shifting um, in those political spaces and how can we continue to support leaders from our own communities mm -hmm. um, in that work and partner with them in this work? I will say that when I think about like our community, right, I think about the Black community, I think about the uh, young community and like the youth vote and the you know the millennials is gen zers and i also think about like our black african leaders both throughout the state of minnesota and, and, and in rondo and north minneapolis and a lot of these places that now we have a we have a um scenario where we do have elected leaders who are going to continue to build and we are expanding in our black representation we're expanding in our youth representation, our folks that are, and I would say the youth is like, yeah, our elected officials under the age of 35, right? Um, being in the Senate and the House chambers, what we can do in this moment, you know, of space and really just like as an organizer, I'd be omitted if I didn't say it. Like what I really would love to see is the more intentional conversations about what we want. What is it like? It's beyond, you know, there's, we do have NAACP chapters in the state of Minnesota and multiple places. We do have, you know, the African-American Leadership Forum and other entities too that, although they don't do partisan work, they care about policy issues and have a direct impact in those spaces. A letter from the NAACP or a joint, you know, um, support letter throughout the multiple, you know, the uh, UROC Center over in North Minneapolis, the Urban League over in North Minneapolis, North Point, these different entities that represent a large amount of Black people. Uh, I want to see a lot of movement and collaboration and connectivity because we can directly influence the way that we are represented because we do have leaders that will hear that. Um, and we have a, we have Senate, we have representation in the Senate now that can hear those concerns uh, in a direct way and advocate for them. Uh, and they need us to do that almost too, to make sure that they aren't the only people, three people in the Senate is not enough to make a major room uh, for black women elected into the Senate. Then now they're going to do everything that, that we need them to do. Uh, that's a lot to put on three women. And how we show up to support them in this is to make sure that our communities are speaking and have their voices heard in a very loud and quite frankly, frank way. Um, you know, like there is no time. Again, going back to earlier things, like when we play small, we should expect small results. 
if we are willing to go beyond that and have faith that those things can move and like you know like I said I think you were very also optimistic too but I was also very pessimistic this election and I was like not expecting these things I was I, no I, was <laughs> I wasn't and I think <laughs> it's just like a reminder like don't underestimate what God can do and don't don't think that we or polls or really any election can dictate that uh because we are here in this world of, because of God can take it out tomorrow the three women senators are those spaces it's like nothing is promised and at the same time we should always continue to ask for the things that were promised to us. Small was not one of them. That's a quotable. <laughs> nice. Oh, awesome. So, um, you know, as we kind of wrap up this conversation, would definitely love to, if you're, if someone's listening to the, I mean, people have been listening to this podcast all season and been hearing so much about getting out the vote and all the things and now we're shifting away from the election season and they might have questions about okay i'm just you know i'm just everyday person i'm just amber i'm just shaniqua i'm just you know someone who cares about these things but i don't really know how to start to engage in these things where are the the first steps that you would recommend that they take on to start to get more involved politically I think it kind of goes back, and I know I said a couple of these things earlier um, this week too for folks that were listening and maybe to a potentially earlier conversation. But one thing I will say is like, know the thing, like basically go on this journey with yourself and really dig deep into understanding you and like who you are, what you want. This is the time to do that because I think that we have a luxury right now to basically say, you know what, God, I'm going to take a minute and I'm going to pause. And I want to learn and think about for me what this means, just like I would anything, anything else, reflect on this election time. Um, learn who represented you, who won, who actually um, is now in those seats. There was a lot of turnover everywhere. And in the last, uh, you know, the last year, just with, with redistricting, I think people are still learning like who represents them, what state Senate district they're in. You probably heard people talk about, oh, I, you know, I'm running state Senate, the, the Senate district and the House district 27B, uh, 21D. And you're like, it's not, there's not a D, but you get it. But it's like, what does that mean? Right? Like, um, just look it up, you know, go to the state, like literally Google who represents me, state of Minnesota. Go and find all your electeds that were just elected. Take And even if you don't know everything, that there's going to be a lot of language that might be confusing to someone who may not have had a lot of experience um, with going through bill language, all that stuff. But just for the premise of names, like knowing who they are, I'm sure they all still have their websites up. Take a minute and just kind of try to like learn a little bit about that person. And that's because you might see a lot more of those people in the future. And also like in general, nobody expects you to, to know everything that's happening at the state legislature uh, or to know everything that's happening as a county attorney. But you should know what Mary or Mariotti stood for based off of what she provided on her platform. The school board members that were just elected in Minnesota and Minneapolis, um, you should know a little bit about what they care about because you're going to be talking to them about your kids. You're going to be talking to them about your neighbor's kids and these other schools and spaces. And you need to know who's standing for what. Because the good part about that is that if you don't like the House representative, right, two years from now, they will be up again for re-election. 
But if you don't like the senator, four years from now, they will be up again for re-election. There will be continuous campaigning. Next year, there will be city council races in Minneapolis and St. Paul. Um, and to be honest, like that's the first step is like knowing who they are because some people don't know who they are. I And I think that just kind of going to that space, if that's you, there's no shame in that because you weren't it was not designed for you to know. That's the key part. When we take our take it upon ourselves to like look these folks up, we're defying the odds as just in that Google search because it wasn't meant or designed for people who look like me, who look like Amber. It was intentionally made to make sure that you were confused because who benefits when that happens? If you ask me, it's white evangelicals where we will go through that space. But like who benefits when black and brown people don't know their governing body is definitely not those same black and brown people because we often aren't talked about there. And the other part of it is just in that conversation and in that space when you find out who they are, you get to look and look deeper into yourself too and think about and have a conversation really with God about like, where do you want me to move and what is important for me to really think about my values? Like literally start to list out some of the things, even the small things. My trash is really annoying. It's this, it's that. When I drive down the street, the pothole that I keep hitting is not fixed. Um, it can be anything from last night when I was looking out the window, right? I don't necessarily feel safe in my neighborhood, whatever the case may be, no matter how small, um, write it down. Just literally start to maintain this list of things that maybe the next few weeks you're going to pray about or you're going to make movements about. Or if there's a conversation happening in community about those things, that you go. If rent, uh, affordable housing is important to you, if rent control was important to you, if legalizing cannabis is important to you, those are things that we will have direct say over. But And the way that we do that is by knowing that they're happening and those conversations are happening. And if we can't show up, nobody said you can't send a letter or you can't just write a little note. You can't tell somebody to, to, to go and attend for you. Those are the things that I think will be a change, especially in the Black community, where so often I'm one of the only Black people in the room. And so often we have that experience where we're the only this, the only that, whether you're Black, Brown, Purple, you know what it's like to be the only person in the room and you know how even in that space, decisions will still be made with or without you. And that's where I feel like it's just like this space of knowing who represents you so you know who to call. I'm sure if you took 15 minutes, you could probably find that person's address and phone number because they're public officials and give them a call and talk to them about those, those very same things that you prayed about and wrote down, because that's where it begins. It's literally their obligation and their job to listen to you. And so how you take and utilize that time, whether it's 15 minutes or a quick little five minute thing that you wrote a letter just to say, Hey, I see what you're doing and I support legalizing cannabis. Thank you, Shaniqua, blah, blah, blah send it forward. Um, those things come in handy when people are trying to make votes and decide where they're going to do their job and what priorities they're going to have. Thank you, Shanika. I love that. And I've heard you say that before. And it even caused me to stop and think about when was the last time I actually sat in, in quiet time and space and, and had a conversation with God or really just pulled out from inside myself were the issues that I care about or were the issues that I am being compelled to 
to step up and to impact in my community in the political process. Um, and as, as someone who has been in this work for over a decade, I think even sometimes we can be um, compelled because of what's happening around us, you know, and how are other people being impacted. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, but if you're not taking the personal time to really process that for yourself, you, you know, you can end up being in a space of being influenced by other people. But I think it is really important to take that space and, and really search and, and pull the stories. Like you said, like I have been personally impacted or someone I love has been personally impacted by X, Y, and Z. And that is why I am um, putting that on my grocery list, on my short list. Um, and to remember those stories and tell those stories to decision makers, because decision makers will look at spreadsheets and PowerPoints so they're blue in the face, but they'll always remember a story. And so they'll always remember how someone has been personally impacted. So thank you so much for sharing um, that wisdom and that nugget that anybody can can benefit from, including people who may may not be new to to being in this work. Um, so as we kind of uh, get closer to wrapping up, I would love to just give you um, a couple of minutes to just talk about some of the other things you do outside of politics, because I mean, you're you're a Renaissance woman, you multifaceted, you out here in these streets, like. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so just share some of the uh, the other bodies of work that you're engaged in. Yeah, you know, thank you for that. I really appreciate that because that's one thing that I feel like, you know, God also did for me this last year was to erase this notion, right, that your identity is like your work. I am very much a person who enjoys the common things. Like I love traveling. I am quick to catch a flight and I've been catching flights this year. Um, you know, going to different conferences, learning from people, revisiting DC and reconnecting with folks that like I needed to learn more about. Like I literally had a list of people towards the beginning of the year that I wanted to just reach out, check in on, have coffees with. So I've been doing a lot of one-to-ones and interviews with people and just, just because, um, and what has really come of that is I've met some phenomenal leaders. I have met my, um, especially over the last year and a half met my sisters that I now work in, uh, in sisterhood we brunch with. And I basically have with them and a team of three women, uh, started this, not this organization that operates pretty similar to a nonprofit in the essence of like, we are organizing structure that creates quarterly brunch series for BIPOC women. Um, and we have four major brunches in the year, usually about 150 women to 200 women that we gather. We have one coming up on December 3rd. Um, and it's really just been a phenomenal space to both network, but also to build this concept through of what sisterhood is. Like we support leaders across the Twin Cities and across the state too, of business owners, entrepreneurs, um, philanthropic leaders, corporate uh, employees, state government elected now and different spaces that just really have been um, to combat this notion that we can't all work together and that we can't be in space together and have a good time and that we are not deserving of that. And I think that that's just been a really a good reminder for me too, because beyond politics, I'm a human, I'm a normal person. I enjoy mimosas about as much as anybody. Uh, I love a good like 
trip or time on the beach. And then, you know, the other parts of my work day to day, I'm a program officer. So I do health grants. I'm also one of the nine leaders on the Black Community Trust Fund um, with Nexus Community Partners. And so there's a $50 million initiative that's going to be really over the next few years investing directly into Black people uh, in North Dakota, South Dakota, and Minnesota. And that feels amazing. Like from a philanthropic lens, I've learned a lot about how money has moved and infiltrated throughout the state of Minnesota, what gets funded, what doesn't get funded. Um, and so that has been about as rewarding as probably a lot of my political work, to be honest, because so much of it is going right back out into community, multi, multiple million dollar uh, grant years. Uh, I've literally, it's two years tomorrow that I'll be at the St. Paul Minnesota Foundation. Um, I'm going to be awarded the Rising Young Professionals Award with the Finance and Commerce and the Minnesota Lawyers. Um, and a lot of that is usually accredited just simply to the fact that I get to be somebody more than what people may read about me in or Google me on or read, you know, I've seen in the papers. Uh, and it's just been really nice to kind of take a little bit of that shield off and just to remind myself that there's so much more out there. So yeah, thanks for the question. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I caught that little slide flick. She's like, I'm just gonna, you know, drop, you know, one of the thousand awards and recognitions that I've gotten, <laughs> you know, just to say it. But obviously, it's, it's well deserved because you have done so much and you continue to do so much and you're just getting started at the same time. I have to remind myself, like, life is really just beginning for people like in our age range. Um, so, you know, buckle up. <laughs> There's more to come. I'm literally just like, look, we are just scratching the surface. This is literally. nothing. This is like, this is a space where I think both of us, you know, I, I'm thankful for you opening the space for me. And I know that, you know, but I share it every time. My freshman year in college, I literally oh, was please. like, I want to be Amber oh, Jones. Listen oh, to me. God, no, but I mean... <laughs> It's still, it's serious. I'm just like, you guys cannot sleep on the but black woman in this space. <laughs> so I'm just like, listen, do not sleep on her. Do not sleep on her at all. <laughs> we, we will all work for you and sing your praises continuously. Oh, I appreciate that. This. I appreciate that. And you have surpassed anything I have ever done. So keep, <laughs> not true. Keep right. drinking big. Keep drinking big. <laughs> keep in mind, y'all. She's the one with the podcast right now. Barely. Don't just play. <laughs> anyway so uh we're gonna wrap up now before we get even more um into the clownery here but thank you so much Shaniqua for your time how can people find you and all of the amazing things that you do how can they support your work yeah so right now um you can definitely just find I have like all the different social medias most of the time you can just go ahead and find Shaniqua Johnson um we are getting ready to launch my website, so it'll be like shaniquajohnson.com. But for now, you can find me on Instagram. Um, you can do the Shaniqua Johnson, which is my political page, or Shaniqua underscore Joe. Uh, if you type in Shaniqua Johnson, I'll also show up on like LinkedIn, on Facebook, on Twitter. Um, I like to be engaged. I don't do much on TikTok, but uh, you know, you can definitely find me in those other platforms too. Okay, well, thank you. And we are going to wrap up this episode.
Thank you so much, uh, Shaniqua, for your time. We're so excited for all that you are doing and um, all that you will be doing uh, in the future. So thank you. Bye, girl. Shaniqua for joining us for another episode of The Revival. I really hope that you really heard her words and you don't play small. Okay, y'all? There is so much that God has in store for us, not just in our personal lives, but in our public life as well. And so don't play small when it comes to advocating for what our community needs. She gave you all the action steps so that you can start to get activated in your community now that we are out of election season. Look up your elected officials. Um, they're super easy to do so online. And then also take some time in prayer and in meditation and just think about those five key issues. What are those five things that really um, set your heart on fire, maybe even make you a little angry, but you know something must be done about that so that you can start telling those stories to decision makers and partnering with community leaders to get it done. So I just thank you all for your time as we have been journeying for over a month. We had about five, six weeks of this election series, and I really hope that it has been a blessing to you all. I hope that you gained something out of it. I hope that you um, got connected to some leaders that you did not know were present in the Minnesota community, or maybe reconnected to them. Maybe you already knew about them, um, but now you can follow their work. If you have not already subscribed to The Revival, you need to do that. We're on Apple Podcasts, we're on Spotify, we're on iHeartRadio, and we're on Google Podcasts. You need to go subscribe so that you know when the episodes are coming up and they come straight to your phone, straight to your mobile device, straight to your laptop. However you listen to your podcast, they'll come straight when they drop. You can also follow us on Instagram at The Revival MN or on Facebook at The Revival MN as well. And also, please leave us a comment, rate, review, tell us what resonated with you so that we can continue giving you the content that you love and deserve. Thank you all. Have a good day. Peace.